Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to talk to a guy that I've followed a little bit on the internet, and I know he's a fellow hunter, fellow pastor. And uh, he and his wife are up in Pennsylvania. We'll have to get some election questions here in a little bit. But I'm talking to the Reverend himself, Casey Horvath. How you doing, Casey? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Let's pray, and then we'll have a good conversation. Let's pray. Right. Lord, we thank you for this time. I thank you that you've connected us through the internet, through Instagram. And I've been able to watch he and his wife and uh, family, and it's just neat to see your work in their life. And then just to hear a little bit of a story that uh, you're transitioning him and moving him to a new direction. And God, I pray that you would continue to make that clear to him that he needs to go this way or that way, whatever it is, just make it abundantly clear where he needs to go. I pray that you give him wisdom uh, from your word and direction, Holy Spirit, where to, where to go next and what to do next. And I trust God that you're going to provide. I know there's a lot of pastors listening in who may be in similar situations of just trying to figure out what's next. I don't know. And uh, God, I pray that this would be a, a place and a source of encouragement for them. Just this conversation would be rich and full, and it would point people to you, Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, man, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and then what it is that you do. And I know you're in transition, so you may want to tell a little bit about that as well. Yeah. Um, well, I am a, a son, a husband, father, and shepherd. And uh, I'm <clears throat> married to my wife, Katie. We will be celebrating 10 years of marriage in 2021. So we are uh, happily married by God's grace. Um, yeah, marriage has been a, a wonderful gift uh, for both of us. And we have three children who are with us and one that is with the Lord. Mm. So my oldest who passed away, his name is Judah. And then we have Asher, Callan, and then we, it was three, we had three boys in a row. And then in May, we had a COVID baby, little Layla Kate. So okay, delighted that she's here, yeah. healthy and doing well. Good, good. Now, let's talk, uh, let's kind of get a little bit of your background. When did you become a Christian? Tell us if you grew up in a Christian home and then you've been doing pastoral ministry. I know you've been doing bivocational stuff, but what was your path into ministry after becoming a Christian? So I have um, the wonderful testimony of growing up in a Christian home with uh, mom and dad who raised me in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I think they did a good job, excuse me, um, pointing me to Christ because um, I don't have a conversion sort of experience or time when I can point to like a date on a calendar and say, this is when faith uh, took place for me. Um, I simply grew up in the church. And as far as I can remember, believing and loving in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's just interesting, even as a grown man, and even in pastoral ministry, there's times in which um, Satan does want to cause a sense of doubt or stir um, a doubt of salvation. And uh, one of the interesting exercises that I've just had to walk myself through is uh, just 
just looking at the confessions of the church, the Apostles' Creed, looking at the Nicene Creed, um, looking at what the church has said in terms of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And in doing that, my heart has, you know, responded with a hearty amen, I believe, in the person and work of Jesus. And, um, and so even that, even that process, I know, is just the work of my parents uh, driving me to the cross in faith. Um, so that was a really good experience growing up. I, um, I grew up playing ice hockey, uh, and I grew up in northern New Jersey. And um, ice hockey was the, the goal. <laughs> um, that was the dream. And in God's providence, um, he ended up directing me to Liberty University. Oh. I went there to play hockey. In fact, I didn't even know who Jerry Falwell was. I didn't know what the moral majority was. In fact, growing up in northern New Jersey, uh, I don't think I even – interacted with the Southern Baptist before. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, to what Elizabeth, Virginia was a, a total culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, in fact, my, the church I grew up in was uh, charismatic Pentecostal. Okay. Um, and theologically uh, a, a mixture of all sorts of church traditions and practices. Uh, and I think that's kind of, reflective of the community in which the church was located, very diverse in terms of ethnicity and, and tradition and things like that. So uh, yeah, Lynchburg was a, a total shock, but when I got to Liberty University, I, I entered as a cross-cultural missions major. Mm -hmm. In high school, I had done a bunch of church missions trips. I worked for a humanitarian aid organization and I had traveled to 10 different countries. Um, and so I wanted to do cross-cultural missions and I had this idea that I would be a missionary in Europe playing professional ice hockey after college ministering to uh to people in Europe okay and uh in in the first semester at Liberty I had a professor just kind of challenged me on the need for um pastors here in the U.S. And then basically said, okay, if you still want to be a cross-cultural missionary, that's great. But why don't you change your degree site from missions to biblical studies? Because biblical studies is going to serve you much better in the mission field than uh, the undergrad study mm -hmm. in, in, in missions. So I did that. I took on a course load for biblical studies. And when that happened, my life changed. Um, I was introduced to the Bible in a new way. I was really just given tools on how to study the Bible well, okay. read and interpret. And my heart just like was a set of flame for the word of God. And um, as I started to read and, and consume a lot of scripture and then consume a lot of books about scripture, um, I started to see a change just even in my life in terms of uh, obedience to Christ, following Christ, um, just practical things were changing in me mm. as a means of being in contact with the Word of God. And so I was being renewed um, through the scriptures. Awesome. And it became apparent to me and very evident. And, and following the desire to study the Word came a desire to teach. And so I didn't really know what that would look like, but I got connected with one of my pa uh, professors Mm -hmm. He was a pastor of a local Reformed Baptist church that was confessional. 
1689 Baptists. And um, I kind of came under his tutelage as a student. And then he brought me into the church. I became a, a member of the church. And um, he was a mentor. He was my professor, my pastor. Became very close with him. And he kind of directed my steps. In fact, he was the one who challenged me on biblical studies. Okay. And, um, and he kind of set and cast a vision for me for the pastorate. Awesome. And um, as a member of that church, uh, it, was, it was made evident and clear, like, hey, I want to pursue pastoral ministry. And um, with the affirmation of the elders, they were, they were behind me and said, hey, we think God has gifted you and called you to that. That's something that you should pursue. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the while I had a, somebody who had taken a, a genuine interest in me to sow into me and help me think through these things and, and train me up and prepare me for pastoral ministry. So I did a, as a student at Liberty University, I was also a pastoral intern okay. at this church and, um, and then worked for that professor as a grading assistant. And um, Katie and I met at college then. And okay. I had all the intentions of staying there at that church. That was kind of like the vision that was cast for me. was okay. more like, hey, come on staff here down the mm-hmm. road, be a part of the church. Um, you're interested in this girl, you're gonna marry her, you guys can stay here, make a life, and um, be present here in town. And, and so that was kind of the vision um, that I had. And um, God changed all that with the birth of our first son, Judah. Uh, he was born at 22 weeks and um, he lived for two hours and then passed away. And, and in that season of grief and, um, and loss, um, there was a real check as to, God, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, lots of questions. And so how does this serve your kingdom? How does this serve you? How is this good towards your children? You promise good and not harm. Explain mm. this. Mm. Um, and so in that season of a whole lot of searching and, and grieving with our families, Katie and I decided that it was a good idea for us to move closer to family. We knew we wanted to have more children, um, but we didn't know what that would look like. We didn't know how many children God would give us. And so we really just looked at a map and Hershey, Pennsylvania is what we were looking at. It put us pretty much in between both sets of family. Mm-hmm. And we ended up in the, the town that we're in now, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, which my front door is exactly two hours west of my parents. Okay. Exactly two hours east of my in-laws. So oh, wow. Okay. We went in the right dead center in the middle. Um, so uh, in moving into the area, I took a job as a youth pastor, um, student ministry director, Mm-hmm. A local church, and um, that was an interesting experience. Um, and there's there's a whole lot associated even with that. Um, I had a um, yeah. This is probably not the best experience coming out of um, my field of study uh, yeah. for pastoral job. Uh, the the polity of that church was just not healthy. I, I, one of the things that even just on the onset, 
I remember um, unloading our U-Haul and the senior pastor coming into the empty U-Haul saying, hey, the healthcare we were gonna provide you, we actually can't do. Oh. And the, the full amount of money that we had negotiated verbally and talked about, we actually can't do all of that either. Oh my gosh, wow. Um, so you're gonna have to get a full-time job outside of working at the church. And these were previously agreed upon terms that so, brought you to that. Yeah, point. so I, I made the, there's a, a bit of uh, naivety and all of that in not having written contractual agreements. Yeah, so, wow. Uh, uh, I think in, in those moments, just being young, thinking who would, who would even need a contract with the church or some sort of written agreement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so all of those things were, were worked out in verbal conversation. And so when we got here, our expectations were really let down. Mm-hmm. Um, so needless to say, that was like that first, that was the first thing. And then there were more things that just followed after that. Yeah. So I was there for six months. Okay. Um, well, let's hold on. Let me interject a thought there and let's yeah. back up a little bit. Let me ask yeah. you a couple questions and then we're going to pick up at that position. You've been there for six months. So you didn't get your teeth knocked out. It doesn't look like by a hockey puck, but it's almost like you got your, your teeth kicked in by your first ministry position. But, uh, but let's, let's go back for, for a couple things. So, so um, you have this time of college. I uh, mean, I'm so sorry about your son. I mean, I just uh, praise God for his mercy. You'll see your boy again. And I, oh, I just can't imagine we got two boys and got a little girl on the way. And uh, so I'm just sorry. That's just, it's brutal. Um, you know, uh, all these things that you're talking about have ways of shaping us as men and changing us and building us up. And eventually, you know, we see how God has changed us through the difficulties that we've gone through. Um, do you feel like at this point, um, the difficulties you've gone through with, okay, you get married, you have this extreme loss, and then you go right into this pastorate. Can, do you have insight into what God specifically, and I'm not saying wise, we're very rarely in life do we get answers to whys, but how has God built you up? How did God use those tears and the pain? Like, what are the things that God changed in you through those seasons of difficulty of college, your son, and then this first ministry position that was not the way you expected it to go? Those are, uh, those are good questions. Um, I would say, uh, the crazy thing uh, that I didn't even mention is the death of my son and then the experience with this new church happened in the same year. Oh, wow. Um, so that was a lot mm. in, in one year for a young married couple. Um, so there, there's definitely a handful of things in which I can look back and see God doing. And, and again, I, I agree with you. You know, you don't have the explicit whys, but there's definitely things that we can look back in our stories and see the hand of God and see what he was doing in our lives. So um, I think one thing, um, while I certainly believed in the sovereignty of God um, and could articulate the doctrine of God's sovereignty, uh, articulate his providence, um, I had to really believe in faith in a new way in, in terms of uh, the death of my son and God being in control over his life and death. Hmm. Um, 
that had to bring me to another level of faith um, in trusting God's purposes, recognizing God is sovereign and he has the ability to save my son, but he chooses not to. Yeah. Um, so that, that took, um, I think, my faith to another level in terms of depth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also in that, I looking back now as a pastor, um, and my, my wife could speak to this um, even better than I can, but there are so many people who have lost children, mm-hmm. um, whether that be in miscarriage, um, stillborn, um, even grown children. And, and we have been able to enter into people's suffering in a way that I don't think I ever could have mm. had I not lost my own son. Right. And uh, it makes me think of the, the Apostle Paul when he says that we are able to comfort those who are in need of comfort mm-hmm. in the same way that we have been comforted. Yeah. And, um, and, and obviously the comfort we have is, as the Heidelberg Catechism talks about, the comfort of the gospel. We have the hope of the gospel, even as you said, there's a real hope in the resurrection. Uh, Easter means so much for our family as we contemplate and think about the hope of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. But with all that being said, um, the experiences with my son and the church definitely had me shift into real faith that was beyond just mental assent or the ability to articulate theological doctrine. It moved me to a place of functional faith. Um, particularly even with the church, because just thinking about um, providing for my wife and we moved into a new place and you don't have relationships. We left some, a place that was very comfortable and very secure and went to a new place where we didn't know anybody. And mm-hmm. so, so that plunged us into the depths of trusting in God's providential care and, and his sovereignty in a different way. Yeah. Um, so that I think was, was definitely uh, forming us and shaping our, our, our faith. Mm-hmm. It definitely shaped our ability to weep with those who weep, to walk along with people who are suffering, to really understand um, loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sharpened us uh, in our ability to counsel people. Yeah. And then um, I think the other thing that it did for both of us is it, it made us, um, in, in not our hearts, because I think it really softened our hearts, I know both experiences really softened our hearts, but it made us, I think, in um, our ability to um, deal with opposition and things of life, mm-hmm. adversity. Uh, we kind of built some adversity muscles. They're faith muscles, but conditioned for adversity. So yeah. um, I think the, the adversity itself caused us to flex these faith muscles um, that have been real helpful um, later on in life. I, I yeah. just think of the things that used to rattle me or mm-hmm. uh, cause me to doubt or fear. Um, God was really putting us through uh, a workout yeah. of our faith yeah. and making our faith stronger and, and preparing us for future things in life. Well, man, thank you so much for your honesty in that. And I, it's just, it's hard. I imagine it's hard just even talking about it, but I'm thankful that God has, you know, he's built you up and he's been faithful. And I love that David said, I've been young and I've been old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And that question of theodicy is so difficult. Uh, there's a guy that I've followed for a little while. It's the goodness of God. And 
in the pain when we know that he's sovereign and sovereign over all things is a, uh, it is, I can imagine it being a next level thing of, of trusting in the goodness of God through difficulty. And I'm glad that he's brought you through that and that you've seen his faithfulness. Um, so you, you've been there at the youth pastor job six, six months for the sake of time. Let's fast forward. You're now, uh, how many years ago from that youth pastor position and that season of life is it, was it from then till now? Like how many years has that been, that gap been? Um, so almost seven years. Okay. So seven years later, you've been pastoring a church, but now you're in a season that I can imagine, uh, you haven't used the word adversity, but it's a transition point where you'd been working full time. You've been in pastoral ministry as well. Now you're transitioning out of the church. You've just been pastoring and you're kind of in this, this middle of not knowing what's next. So how, how are you doing with that? Bring us up to speed. Tell us what you want or feel comfortable telling us about this most recent pastoral ministry experience and then where you're at right now. Cause I think a lot of guys are going to resonate with that of, you know, I, we even talked about this before we, we hit record. I think there's a lot of guys in college at their first ministry stop, second ministry stop, or even in their fifties and something happens, something changes. And then they're just, God, what in the world's going on? And you're kind of in the middle of that. So just kind of bring us up to speed about what you're facing and where, where God has you right now. Um, so, um, a little over a year, well, almost two years ago, um, my wife and I planted a church, uh, in this, in the town we live in here. And, um, the God's hand was, uh, was, was certainly on the church plant and there was a lot of fruit that came out of that. Our church grew, uh, very quickly. Uh, we had some interesting ups and downs and even adversity out of the gate, um, there's lots of stuff that I don't necessarily need to go into, but um, there's a lot of things that I think I experienced in the first few months of planting that I was expecting to experience 10 years into ministry. Ah, things okay. like, uh, personal sin and, and counseling people, um, people leaving the church, um, different things that I didn't ex- expect to happen in the first few months of, of the church, uh, the church's inception. But anyway, we planted and um, went through ups and downs. And um, we grew to, we started out with just my wife and I uh, had a convert join us. Um, and there's three of us essentially meeting in my living room to pray once a week for this church that didn't exist yet. Hmm. And then in God's favor, um, we grew to 50 folks uh, pretty quickly, and um, and the church was was doing well. Um, but uh, in March we had the issue with COVID. Yeah. And the church planting network that I was a part of wanted to uh, close churches. The churches that were part of the network they wanted to to close um, to conform to. Uh, what I would say unconstitutional mandates to, for churches not to gather. Yeah. Crazy. Wasn't it, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I was opposed to that. Um, and so that, that kind of gave us, there was a kind of a hard shot in terms of a, a, a young church plant trying to get the wheels rolling and, and moving. Uh, that was hard to do. Um, and in that, um, I think some things kind of started to come to light in, in terms of 
differences between myself and the network that I was a part of. Okay. Theological things, philosophical things. Um, they started to come to light under uh, differences related to COVID. The other thing that started to happen then was everything with um, the rioting and, and associated with Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was very much outspoken against Black Lives Matter as an organization and a movement. Um, you had asked earlier about my name, our, our family's or, you know, origin. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the name Horvath literally means a Jew from Croatia. Um, and so my grandfather um, came to America in 1957. Um, in 1956, he fought in the Hungarian Revolution against the, the communists. He actually lived under both uh, Nazi occupation and communist occupation. Wow. And so I grew up uh, with, a, with a dude of a grandfather <laughs> um, who had seen a lot in terms of socialism and communism. Hmm. And I grew up with a thorough education of, of what that looked like. And when we started to see statues being toppled over and books burning and things like that, that all kind of resonated with me. Even in in terms of COVID, I remember being given a paper that said I could travel from my house to work and I needed to have that documentation here in the state of Pennsylvania saying that I could leave my house. Oh my. And that just resonated with my grandfather's experience in Hungary where the communists said, if you're going to travel from one part of the town to the other, you need to have proper documentation to do so. Unbelievable. So all that anyway stirred in me um, a, a, a pretty quick response to Black Lives Matter. Of course, um, they are unapologetically trained Marxists mm-hmm. and socialists. Right. And so I had a pretty um, strong position against the movement, against the organization. And the, the network that I was a part of was really soft on um, the whole movement. Uh, I still at this point, I have not heard any negative things stressed or corrective things. Um, okay. Things that would say, hey, Black Lives Matter is not healthy because A, B, C, and D. Um, this is something that the church needs to, to fight against in terms of cultural Marxism. Here's the theological reasons why. Here's the philosophical reasons why. Mm-hmm. So the network I was a part of was, was um, going the direction of of one, either affirming or two, just not saying anything on the topic. And there was a lot of people, and I think even now, I think people are looking for pastors to, to help them think through the cultural changes that are going on, the, the mm-hmm. cultural problems. They're looking to their, their lead pastor for answers or their elder board, uh, the, the session to say, help us think through these political things, help us think through. And so my experience was the network was, was not doing that. Um, and I had a pretty strong opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that started to, to bring up um, some friction within myself and the, the network as a whole. Uh, so that was kind of on the back burner, though. Yeah. And, um, what I was dealing with was a church that was growing um, numerically and then with that pastoral work. But I was also working full time with a large construction company outside of Philadelphia okay. as a project manager. So big workload with that workload of full-time ministry. And then we have, um, as I said earlier, three children and, and really started to feel the pressure 
of trying to balance all three of those things. Um, and I had a conversation with my wife in which um, she was, I just asked her to be honest and, and she was, and, and she was able to point out, hey, your time with our children is, um, is lacking and okay. there's, there's a deficiency here. And so I recognize that and I own that as, as sin in the moment that um, my first and primary calling is to her and my children and then the church. And, um, and so I said, okay, there's something that we, in true repentance, there's something I need to do to change. Mm -hmm. there's, there's something that has to change. Um, I can't just acknowledge my wrong and, and keep going down the road of, of, um, of, of taking time away from you guys. So um, with that, I reached out to um, my denomination and then the network I was a part of and just said, help, guys, help me think through this, where, where the church is going mm -hmm. in terms of COVID shutdowns and lockdowns and uh, as a network, if we're not going to be doing public worship, um, how is our church plan going to grow and what does that do for our church plan? Help me think through my own work schedule. Um, and, and family commitments and, and things like that. And so in summary, what ended up happening was we had a good conversation with the elders who planted us mm -hmm. and came to a conclusion um, that the timing of, of, of everything was really providential in, on God's part in that we recognized there was a shift. Um, I was shifting right and they as a network were probably going more left. Mm -hmm. And this was probably a good time to just part ways. Um, there's more things other than uh, COVID and Black Lives Matter, other theological things that were now coming to the surface in terms of charismatic gifts, uh, views on atonement, things like that, that were okay. far more weightier. Um, but I think COVID and um, the Black Lives Matter stuff kind of brought everything to the surface. Gotcha. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so part ways and, and, and basically leave the network as a whole. Okay. So now you're in the season of trying to figure out where you're going to be next and you're candidating in a couple of churches. And when you get boots on the ground, okay, here's, I'll tell you what we're doing the rest of the interview. Everybody who's listening in, here's what we're going to do. Tell me what you're going to do when you get boots on the ground. What's the first year look like? Then, I have four quick kind of like shotgun questions for you where uh, we'll finish talking about hunting. And, uh, and then after those four quick questions, I'll ask you, why do you love Jesus so much? So let's back up and let's start with what's the first year look like when you get boots on the ground at the new church? Yeah. So I think um, first thing, uh, the, the main, the main, I think priority would be to assimilate into the life of the church. Okay for my family, um, wherever God is calling me, I, I view them as members as well. Um, and so I want to see my wife and my children assimilate into the culture. Um, I personally want to assimilate into the culture as well. Um, so I think that looks like a lot of listening and a lot of being present mm -hmm. uh, and available. Um, and, and then the, and, and with that, I would say the other side of that coin uh, maybe I just summarize that, but I, I would say learning, learning uh, who people are, learning their stories, um, learning about even the church history, um, 
learning how, how they have worshiped and, and what they've done in the past, where God has brought them. So I think that first year for me, my goal is to assimilate. Yeah. Uh, and that looks like doing a lot of listening and learning um, good. To, the, to the folks that are there. That's good. I think that's wise. There's so many stories, just train wreck stories of guys coming into a church like a bulldozer and then eight months in everything being a train wreck, you know, everything being, you know, exploding and burning in front of them. So I think that's a lot of wisdom going into a situation, being patient, learning, you know, you can be a faithful pastor with almost any uh, situation you walk into, you can do what God has called you to do. And if you're being a biblically faithful man, you know, Christian husband, father, and a pastor, then you can take, you know, Sunday through Friday through Saturday and just do what God's called you to do. Prayer, ministry, the word, meeting with people, you know, growing in relationship with people there. You can do all those things and not have to change anything. You know, you can be a faithful pastor and not have to not change anything for a whole year and not have to be in a hurry. And so I think you're walking with a lot of wisdom there. That's good. Um, all right. So four questions, quick answers. Who won? <laughs> Who, who won Pennsylvania, Trump or Biden? I'm going to say, I'm going to say Trump. You're, okay, Trump. Okay. okay, I think so. I think so. Um, so we'll have to see. I don't know what's, I mean, we have some conspiracy theorists in our church and yeah. they kind of let me know what's going on or at least what they think is going on. And I, I tend to, I mean, I listen, I'm not worried or, or freaked out by conspiracy theorists like, a lot of the gospel coalition is. I can really, I kind of enjoy hearing about conspiracies, but uh, yeah, I think Trump did too. We'll, we'll have to see in time. This will probably come out in a couple months and by then we'll know. So, okay. Um, let's see. Uh, do you ever visit the Banner of, Church, Banner of Truth in Carlisle, Pennsylvania? Many times, many times. How far is that from you? Uh, it's probably like an hour away. Oh man, that's cool. Uh, I was just emailing with Pat earlier today and with uh, Pat Daly from the Banner and he's, yeah going to be hooking us up with some stuff and uh we're going to be partnering with the banner for next month and so we'll be That's doing that, that christmas special man that christmas special every year is just a bomb so <laughs> i'll be pointing people that way uh okay hershey pennsylvania dick winters was from there who's dick winters i have no idea okay well i'm going to tell you you got to watch the band of brothers and he okay. is in that show and he is the he is just a great war hero He's from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Okay. A really cool story. So if you'll watch that, you'll love Captain Dick Winters. And uh, the B Band of Brothers film, the HBO series, is just dynamite. Okay. So now to the most important thing that we're talking about here today. Let's talk hunting for, for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> when did you get into hunting? What do you hunt? I think we've talked a little bit. I think you've even gone, gone bear hunting before, I think you said. But uh, tell us about your hunting life. And uh, then maybe what's the, the best hunting story you got? Like whether it was an elk or just a huge white tail or something, what's the best thing you ever, you ever harvested? Oh man. Um, so uh, yeah, just briefly in terms of my own uh, history into hunting. So uh, I didn't, I didn't get into hunting until I met my wife. Okay. Um, so growing up in Northern New Jersey, uh, outside of Manhattan, like I didn't have a whole lot of friends that were hunting or big context for that. Uh, but my wife grew up in central Pennsylvania and as a teen, she was a hunter. All right. So my father-in-law actually is a pastor and he had two daughters, uh, avid hunter. Um, he's, he's a, uh, lots of trophies, lots of good hunting stories. That's a guy 
if you want to talk on things, you should have on. But uh, he, uh, he had two daughters and so uh, raised them to, to be hunters as well. Okay. Um, so the first time my wife brought me home from college to meet her family, um, there was uh, all these sort of trophy bucks in the house that she had shot. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. So, um, in fact, another, well, I'll save that for my, my best hunting story. I've already got it. I've got, I've got it figured out. It has to do with her. But anyway, uh, so she, she had all these trophies in her, in her house. And then um, I think in terms of just like dating and then getting engaged and obviously being married, all of that, there was like this assumed sort of process in which I would just become a hunter. And right. family. Like this is a part of the uh, deal. I mean, if yeah. you're going to marry her, you got to become a hunter. Right, exactly. Yeah, there was sort of this unspoken expectation that I would be engaged in all of that. And so, um, excuse me, for, for me, I had a really good experience my first time out hunting white-tailed deer uh, in rifle season. Um, my very, very first time out ever hunting, um, I had a buck uh, come across my sights and dropped him. Nice. So I was hooked. Um, it's, I tell you, that buck fever, man, when it gets a hold of you, I mean, it's just, yeah. there's, there's very few things like it. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Yep. Yeah. We, we actually, rifle season opens up this Saturday here in Pennsylvania. Okay. And so I've, I've got an itch. Like, I'm ready to, uh, to get into the woods. And, yeah. So, That's so yeah. cool. Man, I didn't get, I didn't get started until I was 35. And I got a buck last year with its shotgun season here. We, we don't do rifles in Illinois. So we got shotguns with slugs, you know, with deer yeah. rifles that, I mean, deer shotgun rifles, basically just rifled out shotgun barrels. And I got one last year and then I got a, a, a nice kind of like two year old little buck this year with a bow, first one with a bow. And then I just got another buck last week with uh, my shotgun tell you man it is a rush i absolutely love it. so i've been in a stand five days in my life and i've got three bucks that's great <laughs> yeah that's so great. for me i'm like man hunting's easy you know <laughs> yeah. uh all right well i ask everybody this question if you listen to any of the interviews before you know what's coming but uh but casey horvath why do you love jesus so much um it's kind of sound like a, a probably gonna sound like a goofy sort of Bible kid answer, but um, I would say because he has loved me first. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, I, and I mean that sincerely, um, just even as we um, just talked about a little bit of, of life experience, there's a lot just within my own life that I can look back on and say, there is no way that I love God unless he first mm. loved me and, and took my heart of stone and changed me. Um, and then even in terms of just giving me the capacity to love, like that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a thing that the creator does in his creation um, that he does to his image bearers. Um, so uh, that's a sincere answer, even though I, fe I fear that it may sound like a little, hey. sort of a, like that, that pastor's kid. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> perfect, man. We love him because he first loved us. I mean, that's what I want people to do is just point to the grace of God and, uh, he's been so kind to us. He's been so kind to you. And man, it's just great to talk about him. And it's been great to talk to you. I appreciate you coming on the show. And just thanks so much for telling us and being so honest about your life and 
told you beforehand, but for everybody listening in, we'll do a follow-up after Casey gets to his new place and he, his wife are settled in at a new ministry spot. We'll do a follow-up and just kind of hear how things are going on the other side of this to see just how faithful God was to bring you exactly where you need to be. But uh, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.